Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, my friends. It sure is great to see each and every one of you here today, especially those who are perhaps worshiping with us online. It is the start of the fall break for at least the Paulding County School System, and I know that we've had some things like, uh, yeah, some hooting and hollering here in the front, but I know we've also had some things like tummy bugs and uh, flus going through, so thank you for being here today. Uh, I, I know on behalf of um, on everybody here at Hope Church, we wish you a very warm and special welcome. We are nearing the end of our Upside Down message series. So this would be a great time if you have the Hope Church Plus app downloaded to your phone. Go ahead and pull that out. We also are inserting hard copies of the follow-along notes inside the info guide. So you can keep up with the content for today. But uh, i tell you what, this is a message that I am incredibly excited about. And it is one of those things that brings me a lot of joy, but also a lot of challenge, because as we've gone through this series so far, everything points to today's beatitude, which is the climax, and then next week's beatitude, which is sort of like the epilogue, but it is what brings it all together. And so if you're worshiping with us here today, online, later during the week, whether you're catching the video archive or the podcast, I want you to know that this is an important message and one that I hope that you will really seriously take to heart as we explore it. Now, generally at this point, I would tell you what we did last week. We're going to hold that off a little bit because in order for us to reach the, uh, the central point of this series today, we're going to need to look at all the Beatitudes together. But I want to start by reading this week's Beatitude from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And this is what we read Jesus say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Does anything jump out, jump, forgive me for that, does anything jump out at you as we read this beatitude about what Jesus might be saying or instructing or encouraging or challenging us? Does anything jump out? David? Okay, be a peacemaker, reach out. Anybody else have a reflection that just comes to mind? Yeah, this, this strikes me or it, it's challenging for me. Anybody? Blessed are the peacemakers? No? That's all fine. That's fine. I know. It's the start of fall break. And I think our Cobb County friends uh, are like, just one more week. Just one more week. I get it. I get it. All right. Well, this is what jumps out to me. On the next screen, we're going to see that a peacemaker is not the same thing as peacekeeper. Okay? A peacemaker is not the same thing as a peacekeeper. They are two entirely different things. Peacekeeping presupposes there is a peace worth keeping, right? Peacekeeping presupposes there is a peace worth keeping. And as we are working through this upside down message series, hopefully 
you can begin to come to grips with the idea that if Jesus is preaching and teaching that the world seems upside down, then the way that we experience or encounter peace in the world is probably going to be upside down from our expectation and our experience versus God's expectation and God's offer, right? So let's look at our next verse, which comes from John chapter 14, verse 27. This is where Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world, what? Cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Let's leave that up there for just a moment. This is what Jesus is saying as he is preparing his disciples in the discourse just before his betrayal, his mock trial, his crucifixion, his death, and then again, his resurrection. Jesus is saying, not in a game show host voice, as your parting gift today, I give you peace. And it's like, mm, I would really like keys to a new car, right? No, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He says, I'm going to give you a gift that the world cannot give. And that gift is peace. One of the things that we oftentimes will reflect upon when we are talking about peace in the church, I'd like to do it a lot, comes to this idea and this notion that the type of peace that we think that we crave is the absence of conflict, the absence of drama, the absence of problems and troubles and angst and anxiety. Jesus is say, telling us those are the things that you seek when you are seeking the type of peace that only comes to you through the world. It's going to get you to think that you can find peace in the absence of conflict or peace in things like material items or other gifts or trinkets or tokens. Part of Jesus's entire message is that those types of things are not going to bring you peace, not in the slightest. Why? Because, and this is going to be key as we continue to move forward from this, whenever we try to ascribe peace to something that can be taken away from us, or when we try to ascribe peace to something outside of ourselves, then even the threat of losing it will disturb that peace, right? Even the threat of losing something that we think will provide or bring us peace, the threat of that automatically disturbs the peace. And throughout this discourse, when Jesus is preaching and teaching, he is saying things like, you are going to have problems in the world. You are going to have troubles. You are going to have challenges. You are going to face things that you do not want to face. Do not let this deceive you into thinking that whenever you come upon things like challenges and troubles, that that means that you are outside of the will of God. So that was a primary mode of thinking in Jewish thought at the time was that if things are going well, that God was blessing you. And if things are going poorly, then God was cursing you or punishing you. And Jesus is like, no, things are going to get tough for us regardless of who we are. And of course, he lived into that as he carried his cross to Mount Calvary. So what Jesus is trying to say is that the type of peace that we need is the peace that stabilizes us. The peace that keeps our faith in God's word, our hope in God's way, and the fact that God's love is what is going to bring redemption to all of this mess and all of this junk and all of this trouble when the time comes. And Jesus tells us, this type of peace is the peace that I give. This is the type of peace 
that you're not going to be able to find or experience if you were looking for it in anything other than the peace and the presence and the power that God and God alone can give. And so, even when we face things like troubles and traumas and challenges, Jesus says you need not be afraid. Because if the peace and the presence and the power of God is with you, the Apostle Paul would pick this up later in Romans 8, nothing can be against you. Everything that comes to us through, from God and through God's love, even when it seems like it's the hard, scary stuff, is being buttressed in the power of the peace that Jesus gives us. And so he is leaving us with a gift, peace of mind and heart, in spite of the things that we face. And it's the peace that the world cannot even begin to give. And so receive that gift of peace that will be with you in the good days, in the bad days, and everything in between. So hopefully you have this idea now that Jesus wants us to be challenged into realizing that the type of peace that the world wants you to experience, the type of peace that wants you to try to mold and to shape your life around is the type of peace that isn't worth keeping because as we've been exploring throughout our series, that's the type of peace that you know what wants to put you at the heart and the center and the soul of everything. And ask God and everything in God's creation to revolve around you. And that's not the way that it works. Jesus says, put me at the center. Put his peace, his presence, his power at the center of your life. And then no matter what befalls you, you do not go through it alone. You go through it with the strong back that carried that crucifix up Calvary's hill. You go through it with the one who has the nail-scarred hand who is eager to wipe those tears from your eyes. You go through it with the one who arose from the tomb and cast off that burial cloth, but also folded the head cloth separately to say, I am coming back. You go through it with Jesus and Jesus alone. So... We need to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, because peacekeeping presupposes that the peace that we have in the world is a peace that is worth keeping. Now, this can be a challenge, can it? Because sometimes being a peacemaker means that we have to do things that maybe we don't want to do. Maybe, in fact, to be a peacemaker means we have to some peace in order to bring some peace back. So if we have this challenge in front of us, like, dear Lord, help make me an instrument of your peace, which means there may be a peace that needs to go get disrupted and disturbed and disoriented so that we can find and follow your peace. Help me to experience what that means. And so a peacemaker believes, here are three basic things, by no means an exhaustive list. A peacemaker believes in Jesus's peace, which is that it is a gift that he sends to you even in the midst of your troubles and your traumas and your challenges. A peacemaker believes in Jesus' peace. A peacemaker also believes that Jesus is the truth that sets you free. That Jesus is the truth that sets you free. As I was driving in this morning, it, I just was going back to that encounter that Jesus had in his, his time before Pontius Pilate. And Jesus and Pilate are, are having this really brief conversation I mean, I think Jesus' mind says, I know what's coming. Let's just get on with it, right? But Pilate is asking, what is truth? And Jesus is like, it's standing in front of you. Understand that truth. But one of the things that we are seeing so much in our world that is trying like crazy to keep the peace is what happens when we allow our understanding and our perception of truth to be compromised to a point where it's like, we'll just embrace anything in order to 
be done with the drama. George Orwell's 1984, the situation with Wilson, right, is he is going through this encounter where the party is trying to convince him that two plus two equals what? Five, right? Two plus two equals four. And Wilson was trying to be convinced that two plus two equals five. Is I need you to believe this because you believe it. And then even after Wilson finally surrenders and says, okay, two plus two equals five, he still receives trouble and torture because they say, I don't think you believe that two plus two equals five. This is that challenge that it's like, okay, I'm willing to compromise my understanding, my experience for truth in order for the trouble around me to dissipate or to disappear. And the challenge comes to us. That's not a piece that's worth keeping if it causes us or requires us to compromise our ideas and understanding of truth. But then the other part of this means that we have to know what that truth is, but we also have to employ it. We have to be deployed to be a peacemaker in the world by helping others find freedom in the Lord, which means that we go and we challenge some of those preconceived notions or ideas about what peace is so that it's not a peace, not a peace worth keeping. It's not a peace worth keeping, but a peace that comes to us through the truth of God in Jesus Christ that challenges us and changes us so that we can be about finding freedom in the Lord. I hope that you experience the conflict in this as I do. Some of that conflict comes because we tend to be driven by three things. Again, not an exhaustive list, but um, you know, if C is for cookie, then C also is for this part because these are all three C words, right? We tend to be driven by comfort. In biology, they call it the law of homeostasis, right? It's like we just want to be at comfort. We want to be at peace. Have you ever been in a situation, kind of like Wilson in 1984, where you just wanted to be at peace and you were willing to compromise? Okay, I give in. So just let me be at peace peace. Is that a peace that's worth keeping if it means that we are compromising our understanding of truth and justice and what it means for us to have God in our lives? Even when that peace challenges the comfort that we so often seek. Another thing that we so often seek that can challenge us comes to the idea of convenience. Convenience. How many of you have ever gone out of your way not to do something because to do it would be inconvenient. I mean, I, I can think about when, I know that sounds kind of confusing, but I can think about how uh, when we lived in the city limits of Cartersville, there are railroad tracks everywhere. And there would be times when I would see a train approaching and I would drive like four or five miles out of my way just to not to have to sit in front of a train for five minutes. You know, it's kind of crazy how sometimes we will do inconvenient things for us because we don't want to be inconvenienced in a way that isn't necessarily comfortable. And I can remember Tiffany and Ethan chiding me, Dad, you know, it's going to take us extra time to get home because you're going all the way around the city to get home. I was like, yeah, but I just don't want to be sitting still. Ooh. Mmm. Convenience. What are those points that challenge your idea of convenience yourself? Think about your own life. Think about the things that you do that are a little bit unusual, but you do it because there's a convenience factor involved. And with that is often involved a comfort factor as well. It's like, don't take this from me because at least I know the devil I'm dealing with. Oh, well, now that's an interesting concept, isn't it? That's an interesting thought and interesting challenge as well. And it comes back to this idea of original sin. Original sin, when I was in seminary, so could so easily have been 
defined by the Burger King commercials at the time, which are your way right away. Remember that old Burger King commercial, their campaign? Your way right away. And I can remember my theology professor standing up in the front of the room saying, and he actually, this is kind of funny, he had a, um, a cow named Big Mac. And so he was talking about how he really despised that Burger King commercial because he was a Big Mac kind of guy. Uh, it, it was a lot, he had to be there, right? It was a lot funnier. But anyway, he would say, but, but the perfect description and perfect way to think about original sin is your way right away. Your way right away. Comfort and convenience. Comfort and convenience. Things that challenge us. We want to find peace in our comfort, peace in our convenience. And so how do we tend to live out those two things? It's with the third. Consumerism. Consumerism. Our culture tends to be driven by our ability to achieve or acquire something. And if that is where we place our peace, the moment that either our consuming power is taken from us or the economy goes into such a way and going up and down, whatever, that our consuming power is no longer the same as what it was when inflation outpaces or outstrips things like uh, income wages and raises, then our consumerism begins to be challenged. So what happens when we find our consumerism challenged and it impedes our convenience and it harms our comfort? What do we tend to do? Pull back. Hold back. Change or challenge or channel our faith in the stuff as opposed to the Savior. To channel and direct our hope and our faith in the things that we can achieve or the things that we can acquire. And all of a sudden, if we are going through that mindset, realizing that, oh my goodness, I typically am driven by comfort and convenience and consumerism. And if that is the result or if peace is the result of these three things and these three things can be taken from me or even just shaken, then I find that my peace can be taken or my peace can be shaken. This isn't how Jesus wants us to live. Jesus wants us to be peacemakers when our natural inclination is to be peacekeepers. And the problem with that is that all too often the peace that we try to keep is not a peace that's worth keeping, at least in the eyes and the minds of God. And so let's look at our Beatitudes in review. We see each week leading to this point. And remember what Jesus said, that you are blessed when you are at the end of your rope or you are poor in spirit, which means that we are bankrupt without God. Bankrupt isn't talking about our ability to achieve or acquire anything, is it? No, he's talking about our spiritual bankruptcy. He's talking about how we think that we can be so good and so meaningful and so important to ourselves and to our circles and to all the creation that we actually have something that we can bring apart from God. But when we recognize that we are bankrupt without God, then we recognize that's right where our understanding of the world is made new. The second beatitude is those who mourn can be comforted. Maybe we will mourn our tendency to think that we can achieve or acquire our way to success or to peace, 
And so we need to be comforted. And comforting is a dual prong approach, right? It's how God comes to us and then moves us alongside someone else so that we can help him or her begin to understand that God is with them. Even when it feels like he's not, even when it feels like that peace is taken or shaken, we can bring comfort to somebody. Then the third one was blessed are the meek. When we recognize that our strength comes from God. And so when we recognize that our strength comes from God, then we must crave righteousness, which means crave all of God, all of God's goodness. Jesus was talking to a a community or congregation that knew hunger. And he knew that just a single nibble or sip might help to slate a craving. But when we experience the sweetness of God, a little simple nibble or sip will not do. And therefore, we need to crave righteousness, crave all of God's goodness. Do you see the direction in this? It's tear down your broken, incomplete way of seeing the world and begin to rebuild it by rebuilding it with a worldview that focuses on who God is and what God has done for you. So if we are craving righteousness, craving all of God's goodness, which is the good stuff and the stuff that challenges us and causes us to feel the shaken and staken, shaken and stirred whatever uh, of our peace and peacelessness, then we've got to get merciful. What does merciful mean? To get inside another's skin. To be empathetic. To help people recognize where they have fallen short, where their struggle is. And to get inside their skin and to help them realize that without God, they are spiritually bankrupt. They can mourn that as they mourn their sin. And that the strength comes from God, not from achieving or acquiring anything. So may we crave all of God's goodness as we get inside someone else's skin to help them realize that there is so much more to this world than what the world wants you to believe is available to you or accessible to you. And that takes us to last week's message, which was be pure in heart and align your actions your intentions, and your motivations. Align them. It rhymes with glove without a G. Love, right? Exactly, exactly. It wasn't a trick question. Align your motives and your actions and your intentions around love. So you see how this section in the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, reaches into the hearts and the minds and the souls and even the bodies of those who are hearing Jesus' message. He's saying all too often we act as though we have something that we bring to the table. And if the world will just revolve around us, then we'll be all right. When we recognize that isn't the case, then we're going to grieve that. We're going to grieve our perceived loss of place and position. But when we acknowledge that God belongs at the center and at the heart of everything, then we find a strength that comes to us that we could not begin to understand apart from God. And so we crave it all, right? Not just a little nibble, not just a little sip, not just a little snack for an hour or hour and 10 minutes once a week, however long it takes. I thought that was funny. But anyway, still, then, then we can be merciful and recognize that I'm not the only one challenging with this challenged with this i can help someone else experience it as well and get inside another skin but to do so we have to align our actions and intentions and motivations around love and then once we realize that living according to christ's will is going to shake or take or stir someone else's sense of peace 
then we must be prepared for what comes next. So now we are peacemakers as opposed to peacekeepers because the worldly view of peace is not worth keeping. We need a godly worldview to combat our corrupt culture, even though it be uncomfortable, inconvenient, and costly. Does that ring any bells? What is it that we tend to be driven by? Comfort, convenience, consumerism? But what is it that a godly worldview requires us? Requires us. I'm beginning to speak like Gullah. I apologize. Um, requires of us. It requires discipleship. And pure, true, peacemaking discipleship can make us uncomfortable. It can be inconvenient. And yes, it can even be costly. What's it going to cost you? It cost Jesus everything. Are you willing to be made uncomfortable to live into a godly worldview where you sense the peace that the world is trying to give, the truth that the world is trying to convince you of, and the oppression that comes as a result of that, that that is not the way that we are called to live? Are you willing to be inconvenienced to go and talk to the faces and the places and the spaces where God's peace and God's changing and transforming power can really, truly make a difference. And it, then it will be costly. It may cost you friends. It may cost you acquaintances. It may cost you whatever. But does it cost more than what Jesus was willing to pay? The answer, of course, is no. So peacemaking is about getting out of our comfort zones and our convenience zones and our consumeristic zones to put ourselves out there in ways that will be uncomfortable. They are inconvenient and quite possibly will be costly. But since God is the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of the universe, imagine what you can acquire when you accept his offer of peace to leave you not troubled, to leave you not fearful. It's great news that out of the mouths of babes. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. This is our message version from this beatitude. The message version renders this beatitude as saying, you are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Isn't that beautiful? It changes the way that we hear or we read that word, be a peacemaker, presupposing there's a peace worth keeping. All of, a, all of a sudden, it reminds us that everything that we've been talking about and exploring throughout this entire series is relational in nature, isn't it? We need to get connected to God who is at the core and the source of all of our experience of life. And we can only do that when we get out of the way, right? Remember what we talked about early on? When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, I must decrease so he can increase. That's what we need ourselves. And when we are getting in someone else's skin and moving alongside them to help comfort them in their morning when they realize that they've lost 
the reality that at least they thought, they perceived that they were at the center of the universe and everything revolved around them. Well, then we're no longer having to compete or fight for our location because when we discover who we really are, we are part of God's family. We are part of God's family, part of God's forever family. The scripture uses the notion of adoption over and over and over again to remind us that we are wanted, we are chosen, we are desired by God in spite of our illnesses, in spite of our misgivings, in spite of everything else that we could do wrong. We are chosen. And so then believe it or not, if you may be inclined to think that peacemaking means that we get to draw our sword or whatever weapon we want and go charge the hills, we come back to this point that peacemaking is really all about reconciliation. Did you see that one coming? It's moving away from separation, from hurt and brokenness to a place of healing, wholeness, forgiveness, and reunion. These are the marks of a reconciled spirit to God. That God sent his one and only son, our savior Jesus, into the world to reconcile us back to God. Back to the heart of the father that occurs when we find ourselves even as challenging as it might be to put God at the center of life. And then once we recognize that God is there, we receive our marching orders to be deployed to go help others to do the same. And there is an incredible amount of peace that comes with that. When we can turn away from the separation and the hurt and the brokenness that occurs because we feel as though we're constantly competing or fighting with someone for position or popularity or prestige or power and experience the healing and the wholeness and the forgiveness and the reunion that is what God has designed for you and me from the beginning of time to reestablish that created purpose for which you and I were made in the first place, from which you and I were conceived in the first place. Redeemed and restored to live into this, in this relational, this relational pattern of allowing our lives to be reconciled back to God. And then deployed to help others realize that God wants to be in a saving relationship with them as well. Let's look at our closing text today, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. Talking about reconciliation, all of this is a gift from God. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is our work as peacemakers, my friends, my family, to receive that offer of salvation that comes to us alone through Jesus Christ. 
to trust him as the living truth of God and to live our lives in such a way where we help others see that they too can find that peace that only Christ can give, the peace that transcends our understanding and to find that hope that can only be attributed to us as a gift from Jesus. Yes, we tend to live lives that are driven by comfort and convenience and consumerism. True discipleship will be uncomfortable, inconvenient, costly. But did it cost, will it cost you and me more than what it cost Christ to win us back to him? The answer is no. So we receive that gift that Jesus wants to give you in the forgiveness of your sins. To put him at the center of your life and to allow your life to be deployed to help other people come to know that God is real. God loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. But if you've been living an upside down reality, this is a moment, a place, a space in time where you can say, dear God, I confess that I have lived that upside down world where I want to be at the heart and the center of everything. And I want your world, I want you to revolve around me. Forgive me for that. Help me to accept your offer of forgiveness and then to live into it so that I can help others see about how powerful and awesome you are. You see, you were created to be in a perfect relationship with God and sin got in the way. There's nothing that you can do about your own sinfulness. So God developed a plan where he would send his one and only son who knew no sin, right? To accept your sinfulness, your bent towards sinning in exchange for his forgiveness and grace and mercy. In Christ Jesus, he took that cross and he carried it up the hill and he died on that cross and in the dying, he proclaimed, it is finished. Talking about God's plan of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, but also the fulfillment of God's wrath and Christ's dead body lay in a tomb for three days. A borrowed tomb, no less, because he wasn't gonna need it very long. And when the father spoke into that tomb and called Jesus the son out, he walked out with victory and with power as he was resurrected. And so now, through the power of his Holy Spirit, he offers you that same resurrecting power to come into your life, to change and to transform you, and then to be a channel, a conduit, if you will, for God's loving, saving mercy and grace. If you have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't let today pass you by without saying, dear God, I, ac I accept and acknowledge the fact that I am a sinner. I am unable to save myself. I believe that your son Jesus was raised from the grave and I confess my need to follow him, to put him at the center of my life. Forgive me, Lord, for all the times I have insisted that I be there at the center and I try to live a life of comfort and convenience and consumerism help me to be your disciple and to give me peace in the face of the acknowledgement that following you might be uncomfortable. It probably will be inconvenient and likely will be costly. But is there any cost that God wasn't willing to pay in order to redeem just one of his children back to him? The answer is no. And so all of us now have the ability as children of God to be welcomed into his holy and forever family, to experience the peace 
that only Jesus can give. Will you accept that offer of salvation? Will you receive the gift? Will you open it and open your life to allow the power of Jesus to live and to change you, to be deployed, to help others find that as well? I pray you will. I'm going to pray for us all now as friends and family as the band makes their way back up to close this service and song. And while they play, if anyone needs to come and do some work amongst the altar here with God the Father, this the perfect time, perfect place, in the heart of our perfect Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for today. Thank you for being the peacemaker that we all needed. Lord, all too often we are guilty of allowing our life to be driven by comfort and convenience and consumerism. Forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to see that you want to be at the heart and the center of our life. And accepting and acknowledging that our sin keeps you out of there. Help us to believe that you remove that sin from us as far as from the West when we believe that your son Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world, risen from the grave, and lives still to lead, guide, and direct our lives. And so, Lord, help us to choose to commit to be your followers and to be making ourselves perpetually available to shine your light and to serve your people, even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient and maybe even costly. We ask all this in the holy, helping, healing name of Jesus, who came to be our peacemaker, to show us that we become your children when we allow ourselves to be peacemakers as well. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.